You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Well, good morning. It's a joy to worship with you, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, and, um, and it's just a wonderful time to be with the Lord. Turn now to the book of Philippians. This is where we're going to be. This is your first time with us. We have been working through this fall verse by verse through the book of Philippians, and we're kind of arriving towards the end of the book as we approach the final chapter. Um, But today we're going to be in Philippians 3, 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. So Philippians 3, 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. So let me invite you to turn there, and I will read the Word of God for us, and then we will pray, and then we will dive into the Scriptures this morning together. So Philippians 3, starting in verse 17. Here's what the Scriptures say. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you with the scripture on our minds and the forefront of our attention. And and Father, we pray that we would heed your word this morning as we listen attentively to what your scriptures say. Father, we believe that your word is inspired, it is infallible, it is inerrant. Lord, it is is your gift to us for the building up of your church. And so, Father, we confess our need to hear from your word, to hear from you this morning. So, Father, I pray, Lord, as I attempt to explain and expound upon this text for all who are here this morning, would I pray that they would be encouraged to stand firm in the Lord throughout their Christian lives. And, Father, we pray that if there is anyone here who doesn't know Christ this morning, or that today might be the day in which they turn from their sins and trust in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. So, Father, we pray that above all, Christ would be made much of as your people gather to worship you this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So it's, it's been wonderful to watch uh, Redemption Church kind of get established and to begin to see the types of songs that really just grab on to our congregation. And I think there's been a few of those songs since we first started meeting back this last April that have kind of been recurring favorites of our church so far. And one of those songs is a song we're going to sing a little bit later, spoiler alert, but but it's a song called He Will Hold Me Fast. And I know that's become one of my newer favorite hymns that's been written, and it's such a beautiful song about how, how we read from the Gospel of John earlier uh, that Christ holds us fast, not one will be lost. 
And songs like this really are a wonderful encouragement about how the Lord holds us fast, brings us to the completion of our Christian lives. And there is that certain wonderful truth that the saints of God will persevere to the end. Such a wonderful, wonderful promise that if you are really and truly in Jesus Christ, if you know Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, then by the grace of God, you will endure till the end. You'll cross the finish line of faith. But yet that, that wonderful, precious doctrine of eternal security is often twisted into a devilish lie. And like all lies, it's very subtle and often imperceptible to those who aren't very discerning. But it is a devilish lie nonetheless. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints isn't once saved, always saved, but rather it's once saved, always persevering. And that's a very important difference that we have to take hold of. And that popular cliche, once saved, always saved, what, what, what tends to happen with that phrase is it often gives people the impression that if I made some decision at some church 50 years ago, then I'm going to go to heaven. And this turns into some sort of easy believism that preaches salvation without repentance. And sadly, I think many, particularly in this Bible Belt culture in which we live, like North Carolina, like, like Wilson, right? We're kind of right on the buckle of the Bible Belt, aren't we? But many, I think, are deceived by this lie. And they think that their standing before God is secure because they convinced some church to put their name on a roll when they were seven years old. And though they've never, throughout their lives, have been interested in the Lord, they've never been concerned about their personal holiness, they've never even attended church throughout most of their adult life, but yet they think they're Christian when the Scriptures will tell them, no, you're not. You know, I think one of the, the greatest struggles in doing ministry in the Bible Belt like we are is being crystal clear on what a Christian is. Because so many people just don't understand. What, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, to be saved by faith through grace? So if we're not careful, we can begin to presume upon the grace of God. At Redemption Church, we believe strongly, firmly, that we are saved by faith alone. But we also believe that born-again people are transformed by God's grace. And that same grace, we believe, sustains us as we grow in holiness, as the, as the Spirit of God begins to produce fruit in us, fruit of holiness, of righteousness, of good works. So there is a reason, I think, as we look at the New Testament, that the, the New Testament authors give such strong warnings about apostasy. From Jesus' parable on the sower, you remember that one? to passages that tend to perplex people, even strong warnings against apostasy and passages like Hebrews 6. And even the passage we see this morning, I think we learn an important truth that we have to really listen carefully to what the scriptures say, that not everyone who attaches themselves superficially to the church actually belongs to Christ. There exists a category in the New Testament of a person who is a Lord Lorder, who has been blinded into thinking that he is a Christian when he or she is not. 
But even though that category of person is there, it, there, we can still have assurance of our salvation. We can know if we are really standing firm in the Lord throughout the course of our lives. And, and perseverance then is the mark of those who have been truly born again by the Spirit of God. So as we look at Philippians chapter 3, as we look at verse 17 through chapter 4, verse 1, Paul here is urging the church of Philippi to stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord, particularly as there are those dear friends in Paul's life who had professed Christ, who eventually became enemies of Christ. So building off of this this previous passage, Paul is is urging the Philippian church, as we talked about last week, right, to, to run the race of faith, to finish the race of faith, and to do so by standing firm upon the gospel in the Lord without wavering or wobbling. And so the sermon summary for this morning is really simple. It's stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. That's what I want to exhort you to and admonish you to this morning is to stand firm in the Lord throughout the entirety of your Christian life if you're a follower of Jesus. And I think it's within that framework, within this admonition, that verse 17 through chapter 4, verse 1, makes sense to us. Because as we stand firm in the Lord, we do so with God's help. And I think Paul provides some reminders here for us and encourages us to stand firm in the Lord. Let's talk about the first one of those this morning. First thing he tells us, if we hope to stand firm in the Lord, is we must imitate those who walk faithfully. We must imitate those who walk faithfully. We set our our eyes on them. We watch those who walk according to the example you have in us, as Paul says. You see, Paul admonishes the church. He says, look to me. Look to those who live like me. Look at at uh, my, my ministry team. This is what the Christian life looks like. If you want to see what the Christian life looks like in action, look to us, look to me, and look to anyone who walks in the same way. Now, a lot of times, if if you're like me, sometimes when we hear Paul talk like this, it makes us a little uncomfortable because inviting others to imitate you can might sound like you're being a little prideful. I've got the Christian life figured out. Watch, Watch what I'm doing. In addition, I think the reason this is such a struggle for us is is if we're mature in Christ, if we're growing in Christ, then, then you are critically aware of your own shortcomings and sins. You know how you are not always walking faithfully in Christ. You know you're not perfect. So the thought of having anyone look to you as an example of what it means to live the Christian life, that sounds absolutely terrifying and frightening. And it is good that I think we see ourselves with that sort of humility. We have to also understand that as Paul is admonishing the church here, mature Christians are a gift to the church, a gift to the congregation, particularly to those in the church that are newer in the faith. We're still trying to figure out what the Christian life looks like. Mature Christians who've been walking with Jesus for an extended period of time, they are a gift to the body. You see, one of the things that you learn about having kids is that children are constantly watching and constantly observing. And for a parent, that is terrifying, isn't it? Because they keep our eyes on us all the time. They are constantly monitoring us. There is no, like, off time for a mom or a dad. You are always on. 
And as a parent, your children will begin to talk like you talk. Not trying to teach them how to talk like you talk. They're just going to say things like you say things. They're going to have the the same accent that you have an accent with, right? They're going to act like you act. They're going to think like you think. They're going to move as you move. And oftentimes, that just kind of happens over time without you intentionally trying to communicate those things. They're watching you. And it's almost uncanny how much parents begin to, uh, children begin to imitate their parents. It's just strange. And in these parent-child relationships, you know how the cliche goes, more is caught than taught, more often than not. And I think the same principle is true here as we see Paul urging the church to, to join in imitating me. I think that same is true when it comes to Christian discipleship. That you might not realize that people are watching you live the Christian life, but guess what? They are. They're watching you. And they are learning from your life what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They are learning how to pray by listening to your prayers. They're learning how to practice hospitality by watching you practice hospitality. They're learning how to repent and confess sin by watching you repent and confess sin. They are learning how to evangelize by watching you evangelize. They are learning how to read the Bible by watching you read your Bible. That means we have to give careful life. Those of us who are following Jesus, we have to give careful careful watch over our life and doctrine. And so I think part of this challenge of Paul's invitation to the church to join in imitating me, there is a, a challenge to every Christian to live this sort of worthy life in light of the gospel that you could say that to other people in the body. But this is particularly an admonition, I think, to the leaders of Christ's church. We must be constantly on guard for those of us who are in leadership, who are elders, who are pastors, who are in any sort of leadership capacity. We we have to make sure that we're not living as hypocrites. You know, a a leader must never exhibit a do-as-I-say-but-not-as-I-do attitude when it comes to disciple-making. If you have that attitude, you're going to just completely bomb when it comes to making disciples because they're going to see through that facade right away. So may we walk consistently faithful lives, providing a faithful example to those within the church. However, I think the reason that Paul is urging the Philippian church to follow him and to follow his his companions in their walk of the gospel and their Christian lives is because he wants them to not imitate certain people. And we learn about those who will become enemies of the cross of Christ. We'll talk about them in just a moment. But there's a word of admonition here even to young Christians, I think. That young Christians, you have to be discerning about who you're following. You have to be discerning. Not everyone is worthy of emulation. And you must ask God for a discerning spirit. Do not follow those, even those within this body, right, who who may not be walking in accordance to the pattern of Christ. You can't blindly follow anybody with the name of Christian without discernment. Paul is urging here, I think, important counsel for all of us this morning that if we hope to stand firm in Christ till the end, then we should seek out and imitate godly examples of Christian faithfulness. We need those examples. We should look for these examples. So find somebody in this body, in Redemption Church, that lives out the Word of God, 
that reflects the spirit and temperament of a Christian as revealed in the scriptures, go seek them out and watch them. Watch them. Just, just surround. Get to know them. Invite them out to lunch. Keep your eye on them. Spend time with them. Ask them questions about their Christian life. Ask them how they do their quiet time. Ask them what their prayer life looks like. Ask them for guidance in marriage and, and what, what it means to be a godly husband or a godly wife. Ask them to teach you to read the Bible. Just, just be a spiritual leech upon their lives. Just kind of attach yourself to them and, and watch and learn from their example where they are faithful. And as anybody who's following Christ will tell you, we're not always faithful in every area of our lives. And so the closer you get to somebody in the body, the more you begin to see the areas of their faithfulness, but also their shortcomings. And that too provides us a wonderful lesson of learning what it means to follow Christ. So ask them, surround yourself with them, with godly people, and imitate them. And we hope that this idea of, of imitation will be a part of the DNA of, of Redemption Church, that we believe that it's important in this body to spend planned, intentional times of, of worship, of discipleship, of study, quality times of, of study and learning together centered around God's Word. But we also believe that it's important to spend a large quantity of time with each other getting to know each other well. Because the more we spend time with one another as a congregation, the more time is provided for godly models and examples to teach and disciple, not just through their teaching, but through their life. You see, discipleship takes place within the natural rhythms of day-to-day -day life. And those day-to-day -day rhythms of life is messy. Times like uh, inviting others into the, the chaos of the Dieter home around dinner time, right? Much disciple making can happen over a cup of coffee or while I'm, I'm doing the dishes after dinner, talking to a brother while the Dieter kids are getting ready for bed. That's, that's a time of discipleship, of modeling, of faithfulness, right? Inviting people into these normal, everyday routines of your life helps them see this is what living as a Christian really looks like. Invite others into the natural rhythms of your lives with increasing quantity. And guess what? The quality of conversation and discipleship moments will come, often without you planning them. Isn't that what we do with our children, right? Like, sure, we want to spend quality time with our kids, but when you spend a quantity, a lot of time with them, those quality moments are going to come. Those intentional conversations are going to come. I think a similar thing is happening when it comes to discipleship. We need to, like Paul, invite others to imitate us by inviting them into the everyday rhythms of our lives. After all, like it's, it's easy, it's easy to appear godly on a Sunday morning for a couple hours a week. <laughs> Anybody can do that, right? We can, we can play the, the Christian part pretty well just for a couple hours when we see people in the body. It's much more difficult when you're at home and your children are not listening and they're jumping on the couch and you're trying to provide biblical counsel to a member of the body who is in need and who dropped by last minute an hour ago. Right? Those times when that person is watching you, parent, at that moment, in that stressful moment, that often teaches far more than we realize. That example, the invitation to imitation means that we expose our lives to others, our entire lives. And it's vulnerable, it's revealing, it's uncomfortable, but it's vital 
and helping others grow in Jesus. You see, as Christians, we need a vivid example to follow. We, we need that. That's part of the way God designed us, right? It's, if you're studying science, it's, it's difficult to learn science from a textbook, reading about these things and these principles and these facts. What you often need to do is to take what you've learned in the book and go to the lab and see it in action. What does this look like? How does this principle function? I think the same is true when it comes to the Christian life. Often the best way we can teach the Bible to others in disciple-making is is modeling the Christian life as we teach it, inviting others to watch our life and our teaching. So if you want to stand firm in Christ, I think one of the things Paul is, is admonishing the church for and admonishing us today is that we need to imitate those who are walking faithfully. So find them and watch them and imitate them. But there's a flip side to this, and this leads to the second point this morning, is that we must learn from those who tragically now walk as enemies of the cross. We have to learn from those who tragically now walk as enemies of the cross. There is something wonderful and positive about faithful examples of the Christian life, but there's also something to be learned from those who are unfaithful. Here, Paul's admonition for the Philippian church to finish the race of faith becomes all the more pressing as we realize this burden he has on his heart. He has witnessed those who who seemingly, who appeared to begin the race of faith, and they began it, but they bailed out without completing. These people whom he at one time called brother and sister have now become enemies of the cross of Christ. And this failing, you can tell as you you read the text, right? This, This failure, this apostasy of people Paul loves, it weighs heavy upon his pastoral heart. These are not just a handful of people either. Look at what he says. These are many people. Verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And Paul brings these people up. He shares their story as a warning, even as he does so with tears. He mourns and grieves over these people whom he loved, but these people have abandoned the gospel. They've abandoned Christ. You see, if you live the Christian life long enough, you will experience the same heartache of the apostle Paul here. People that you love, people that you discipled, people that you worship with who one day decide that they don't believe in Jesus anymore and become antagonistic to the Christian faith. They become enemies of the cross of Christ, and their lack of perseverance reveals that they never had saving faith to begin with, and that without repentance, that their end is certainly destruction. See, Paul describes them in verse 19, and I think he does so as a warning for all of us who desire to stand firm in Christ. Look at what he says in verse 19. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. You see, in the end, Paul says, they are going to be destroyed because they have made their God their carnal appetites. Lust, gluttony, pleasure, greed, you name it, that's their God. Not only do they worship at the God of their own carnal and fleshly desires, but they also take glory in it. 
They delight in it. They take glory in their shame. They celebrate their sinfulness. They celebrate their idolatry. There is no remorse, no repentance at all. Their minds are consumed with the things of earth. And as I read these warnings here, and maybe in your life as well, I'm sure you can attach a few names to this verse. I know I can. I know I I do. I have teenagers, now adults, that I invested countless hours into as their youth pastor, whose God is not Christ, it's their belly. I have family members who have rejected Christ and glory in their shame and are now enemies, hated enemies of the cross of Christ. With great sorrow, I know that unless the Lord intervenes, and I pray he will, but unless the Lord intervenes, their end is destruction in hell. This is a warning we cannot take lightly. And these are stories that we need to share because these stories are warnings to us. And we share them with tears, with sorrow, with with grief. But we should share those stories with one another because they provide a necessary warning to all of us. As Paul would give in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You see, we do not gloat over those who have become enemies of Christ, but rather we should be filled with fear and trembling at their stories. You know why? Because the same sin, the same wandering spirit, the same enmity against God lurks in your heart as well. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, there we go as well. You see, Christ must hold me fast. He must hold me fast if I hope to stand firm till the end. And the second, the millisecond I allow pride or self-sufficiency infiltrate my Christian life is the moment I've given a foothold for the enemy to work. And with the proliferation of the news nowadays and the, the omnipresence of social media, it seems like every day, every hour, we hear news stories of moral failure, of apostasy within the church day after day. And you've heard the headlines, you hear the stories, even within our own Southern Baptist Convention. We're not immune to this, are we? There have been scandals of sin from seminary professors, from people on the executive committee. There have been many who have fallen and who have been strayed into sin. And though many of those have been repentant of their sin, and we praise the Lord for that, there are many others in our churches who don't make the headlines who end up becoming enemies of the cross of Christ, who never repent of their sin. And these failures remind us, right, that we cannot coddle sin in our lives. We must attack it viciously and uproot it by the grace of God. The fight for faithfulness in Christ takes place in the battleground of today. Today you fight your sin. Today will I pursue holiness. Today will I walk faithfully for Christ. Today will I repent. Today will I make Christ my treasure. Stand firm in Christ by learning from the tragic examples of those who now walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So when it comes to standing firm in Jesus, which is I think what Paul is admonishing the Philippian church towards, we should imitate those who walk faithfully And we should learn from those who walk now as enemies of Christ. But standing firm in Christ, I think, also 
means that we remember a third important truth. It means that we must thirdly remember our heavenly citizenship. We must remember our heavenly citizenship. And look at the contrast that that Paul sets up in the passage. There are those who, who have been now walking as enemies of Christ. We can see that their attention, their mind, their focus into verse 19 with minds set on earthly things. That's their God. That's what they love. That's their desires. That's where their affections are drawn toward, to the things of earth, to the desires of the flesh, to the pleasures of this world. And Paul reminds them that this is not the mindset of a believer in Jesus Christ. Our mind isn't filled with earthly things, but rather a Christian has his or her mind set on heaven. On heaven. Paul reminds the Philippian church of their their ultimate citizenship in heaven. This is their true hope. This is where their ultimate loyalties lie. You might remember as we talked earlier back in chapter 1 that that the Philippians really loved their Roman citizenship. They loved the fact that they were so closely connected to the the city of Rome. And Paul stresses to them and reminds them of where, where your ultimate loyalties lie, that he says in Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We're translated another way. You could say, live as worthy citizens of the gospel of Christ. So if we hope to stand firm in Jesus, and I pray that's your desire this morning, is to stand firm in Christ, then you must remember that this world is not your home. It's not your home. It's not where you belong. That your homeland is not America. It's not Wilson. It's heaven. That's where you belong. That's where your citizenship rests. And that is where you will spend eternity with your God. And it's having this sort of mindset, this heavenly mindedness that will reshape how you think about your life today. If you're living with heaven in view, with eternity always before you, then you're going to live your life very differently. The second you begin to take your eyes off of the eternal and onto the temporal, the temporary, then you're going to begin to believe hook, line, and sinker the lies of this world. So Paul reminds us that, that we must recall and we must remember the coming hope of heaven, the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the future resurrection of the dead that will come on that last day. You see, the Christian life, part of what it means to to be standing firm in Christ means that we wait. The Christian life is one of patience, one of waiting. And what are we waiting for? Look at what Paul says in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You see, we await, we long for the day with patience in which Christ will make all things new. And we believe that when Jesus returns, there is going to be a great resurrection of the dead, that he will, in fact, take our lowly bodies and he will transform them to be like his glorious body. It is coming that the frailty of our human flesh will be renewed on that great resurrection day. And on that day, we will have bodies, resurrected bodies like that of Christ. The pain, the disease, and the weakness of our human flesh, all of that will be no more. And in this, in this truth, this hope, this promise, 
In this do we find hope and rest and comfort in this life today. You see, the resurrection of Christ is the balm that soothes our bruised and broken hearts. Every time we struggle with the temptation of the flesh, and guess what, as a Christian, you're going to struggle with the temptation of the flesh. What do you do? Well, you remind yourself. You remind yourself that one day a resurrection is coming when Christ returns. A resurrection I'm waiting for, and on that day I'm going to receive a new body, a body that is no longer tempted to sin like my body now. And every time we hear someone else that we love diagnosed with cancer, what do we say? We, we remind ourselves that one day, a day that's coming soon, a day that is at hand, these lowly bodies will be transformed and cancer will be no more. Every time we stand at the cemetery watching the corpse of someone we love be lowered into the ground, we remind ourselves that this is a seed that is being planted that will one day flower and bloom on the day of resurrection. And the day of resurrection is coming. You see, the resurrection of the dead is, is not some side note to the Christian life a footnote that we bring up every now and then, but rather the resurrection is the grounds of Christian hope. It is the ground of our Christian hope. So we await right now, today, in faith, on this Lord's Day, on this Sunday when the Lord Jesus rose from the grave 2,000 years ago, we gather each Sunday to celebrate the resurrection, to reemphasize that our hope is in a risen Christ who is coming. And so we await today in faith, standing firm in Christ, because we believe he will return just as he said he would return. The day of resurrection is coming. And so the reason we await in faith is because of who Jesus is, right? That's what Paul says. We await for the resurrection, and this waiting is not some pie in the sky, distant dream, like we're hoping Jesus comes back. No, no, not at all. It is grounded in the very power of Christ. Look, look at Paul's words here in verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And who is this Jesus? He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. How? By the power that enables him even to subject all things according to himself by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You see, because Jesus is God, because he is God in the flesh, because he is the creator of heaven and earth and the whole universe, all things are subjected to Christ. He is sovereign, and he is majestic, and he reigns in power throughout all of the cosmos. And so we await in faith because we know that this Jesus who made this promise, that he's coming back for us, that the resurrection is coming, this Jesus who said this, well, he is the sovereign God of the universe. All things are subjected to Jesus. And when Jesus makes that sort of promise, when he promises us that he's going to come again and that the resurrection is coming, we know that he is truthful because he does not lie. And he has the omnipotent power to ensure it comes about. So stand firm, church. Stand firm in those difficult moments when you're struggling against the flesh and you're struck with grief. Know that the earth is not your home. Have a heavenly mindedness throughout your life because your citizenship is in heaven. 
and from it you await a coming resurrection of the dead. Don't let the present struggles that you're facing today, right now, in this moment, don't let them cause you to abandon Jesus. But stand firm upon Christ, stand firm upon his promises, and look forward to the day of resurrection. But I think there's a fourth element here as we look at this text, chapter 4, verse 1, of how we stand firm in Christ throughout our Christian life. And look at what, what this fourth point says, is that we must listen to the admonishment of ministers who love you. You must listen to the admonishment of ministers who love you. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Chapter 4, verse 1 is a transitionary verse, moving to the closing of chapter 3 and kind of introducing chapter 4. But it kind of brings one overarching charge from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. Let's read it together. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And there's that charge, right? To stand firm. Stand firm thus in the Lord. However, as Paul sets up this command, he, he surrounds it. He sets it up with this beautiful and affectionate language that he has for the church of Philippi. He loves them dearly. They are his brothers and sisters. He loves them and he longs for them. They are his joy and his crown of his ministry that he will gladly give to the Lord on that great day. You see, Paul is a pastor who loves his church. He is a minister who has given up his life for the perseverance of the church in faithfulness. That's his desire is that the church might stand firm, that all of Paul's missionary work and efforts, all of his preaching and teaching, all of his suffering, all of his letter writing here right now in prison, right? All of it's being fueled. Why is he doing it? He's doing it because he loves this church and he longs to see them stand firm in Christ until Christ comes again. That's his desire. So if you hope to stand firm in the Lord, and again, I pray that's your desire this morning. If you hope to stand firm in the Lord, you need to belong to a church that has pastors that love you and who care for your soul. Faithful pastors are a gift to the saints. They labor in teaching. They engage in difficult conversations. They counsel the confused. They comfort the grief-stricken. However, the aim of any pastor, speaking as a pastor, is to protect the flock entrusted to his care so that they may all stand firm in Christ until the end. We've been entrusted with the people of God. And as a pastor, I know that this is, this is my longing, this is my joy, is that when we all get to heaven, that the members of Redemption Church would stand alongside me that we would all see Jesus together, face to face. And though, trust me, I am far from a perfect pastor, but when I read this verse, the kind, I see the kind of pastor I want to aspire to be by God's grace. And as I read a verse like chapter 4, verse 1, my, my heart swells up in love for you, for this body, for the, the members of Redemption Church. And I aspire to love you well and to admonish you well so that you might stand firm in Christ until Jesus comes back where you go home. And though I'm the only elder of this church right now, we pray that soon and very soon the Lord would raise up other men from within this body 
to share in this glorious work of shepherding the flock of God, helping others stand firm in Christ throughout the Christian life. You see, one of the things I think that makes redemption unique, if you're kind of just checking us out and visiting with us, one of the things I think that makes us unique is just how seriously we take membership to this body. The reason for this is not that we just want to have high expectations for members, but rather we, we want to take membership seriously because we want to make sure that the pastors of this body know who they are responsible to God for, for shepherding. Because pastors are those who must give account to God for the souls entrusted to their care. And so one of the surest ways you can stand firm in the Lord throughout your life is by belonging to a church that takes membership seriously and that has pastors that love you, know you, and desire to admonish you in faithfulness to Christ. You, listen, you need to be a part of a church family that loves you enough to come find you when you go missing, that love you enough to hold you accountable and confront you even in your sin, that loves you enough not to let you get lost when you wander away from the Lord. This is a church that Redemption Church aspires to be. This is what we want to be about. And so we urge you, if you're not connected meaningfully to membership in a local church like this, then let me warn you this morning, you are exposing your soul to danger. You're exposing your soul to danger. Satan loves to devour those who are isolated and disconnected from his body. You need the body of Christ if you hope to complete this race of faith. The church and its pastors are God's gift to you, and they are the means by which God will empower you to persevere in Jesus till the end. And if you're not a member of Redemption Church, we, of course, would love to have you consider belonging in, in Christ as a part of this body, as a covenant member. And as you heard announced earlier this, this morning, we have a, a membership weekend coming up this upcoming Friday and Saturday. And we would love to have, even if you're just interested in learning more about membership, you don't have to become a member after going through the class, but if you just want to learn more about what Redemption Church is about and what meaningful membership looks like, then we invite you to come and join us. And you can sign up at the, the welcome table or talk to me or, or sign up online. We would love to have you up as a, as a part of that class. But my prayer for each of us this morning, particularly those who are members of this body, is that you would... Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. That you would imitate those who walk faithfully in Christ and that you would learn from those who tragically become enemies of Christ. That you would remember your heavenly citizenship and that you would listen to the godly admonishment of ministers who watch over your soul. I think this is wise counsel that the Apostle Paul gave the Church of Philippians. I think it's wise counsel for us if we hope to stand firm in Christ. So perhaps this morning you are, you are not a Christian, or maybe you're, you're unsure if you're a Christian. Maybe you're not even sure what a Christian is. That's, that's okay. You're not alone. And if you are not sure if you can stand firm in Christ, and we'd, we'd love to, to talk to you about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, how you can make Jesus your Lord and Savior even this morning. We'd love to talk to you after the service about how you can put your faith and trust in Jesus. So come find us. We'd love to talk to you about that so that you can have assurance of your salvation. that You are indeed standing firm in Christ. But nevertheless, we have to remind ourselves that even though these warnings, these admonitions to stand firm in the Lord are important, 
we must nevertheless forget that it is by the power of Christ that we are held firm in Christ. That it is by the grace of God that we will persevere in the end, that not one of us will be plucked out of his hand. So we must not presume upon God's grace, but rather as we think about God's sovereign love and power, may it motivate us to stand firm in Christ together as God's people. So let's pray together. Father, we are so very grateful for Jesus. We're so very grateful, Lord, that through his life, death, and resurrection, Lord, that we are forgiven from our sins. And Lord, that you give us your spirit. And Lord, that it is by your spirit that you empower us to to stand firm in Christ throughout the remainder of our Christian lives. Father, we are so grateful that even though we are weak and frail and feeble and tired and exhausted, Lord, even though we stumble and fall so frequently, Lord, you continue to hold us fast, keeping us secure in Jesus. But Father, I pray that, that even though we believe so deeply, Lord, about your gracious sovereign love and and keeping your church safe. Father, we pray that we would take this challenge seriously to stand firm in Christ, that we would not presume upon your grace or take advantage of your grace, but Father, that that we would take seriously the need for repentance and faith as we come to Jesus. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would empower all who are here, who are in Christ, Lord, that they would stand firm in Jesus throughout the course of their lives. And, Father, I do pray, particularly for those who don't know Christ, who are unsure if they know Christ this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would lead them to the cross, Lord, that they would repent of their sin and trust in Jesus this morning as their Savior and Lord, so that they might truly be able to have assurance of their salvation knowing that they are standing firm in Christ. Father, I also pray for those here who are, who are not meaningfully connected or committed to a local church body. Father, I pray, or that they would find a church to, to join, to be committed with, to be a member of. And if it's not here, Father, we pray it's another church that takes membership seriously. But Father, we know that your church and membership to your church is a gift to our souls. And so, Father, I pray that, that such people would spend time with you this morning in prayer asking, Lord, how you are leading them in terms of belonging to a body of Christ. But Father, we pray that as we sing, as we celebrate Lord Christ and his resurrection this morning, we pray that Jesus would be lifted high and magnified as we worship. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.